Keeping It With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure, is brought to you by TKM Incorporated. This company located in Moss, Tennessee, specializes in erosion control, hydro-seeding, hydro-mulch, silt fence. They do minor excavation work, and they also provide traffic control and construction signs. Their mission is keeping people safe. Their passion is wishing that all men could be saved. TKM stands for The King's Men. If you'd like to contact The King's Men, you can contact them at 931-243-3958. 931-243-3958. Or you may email them at tkminc2001 at twlakes.net. That is tkminc2001 at twlakes.net. The King's Men in partnership with Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. SJL General Contractor is a full construction company that primarily focuses on civil construction and asphalt sales in the Huntsville and Fayetteville regions. Services they provide include, but are not limited to, road construction, asphalt material, underground utilities, site work, and demolition. They employ heavy equipment operators, concrete finishers, pipe layers, and CDL dump truck drivers. If you would like for this company to work for you on your project, or if you'd like to work for them as an employee of this family-owned business, you can contact them at 931-433-4660. That is 931-433-4660. Or three W's and a dot sjnl.com. That's www.sjnl.com. SJNL General Contractor is a sponsor of Keeping Up With Jones. Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. I'm sitting in room 407 at the Holiday Inn Express and Suites in Versailles, Kentucky. Now, I'm here because I'm doing a lectureship series at a small church in this town. Uh, I arrived on Friday night, uh, ate supper with some of the brethren, went to the church service, spoke, and then came back to the hotel room and decided to to do some podcasting. Now, if you try to figure out where Versailles, Kentucky is, you should Google or you should look up the French spelling Versailles. Now, I don't know why Versailles is pronounced Versailles instead of Versailles. There's several explanations for it. If you do look it up, uh, some people said that it was a, a compromise, that they wanted to name the town Versailles, and people were against the French pronunciation. They said, well, let's t- tell you what, you spell it French, but we'll pronounce it American. Other people have explained it, that it's just an Anglicization of the of the French word. Uh, other folks have said that it's an, it's an on purpose, it's a spiteful use of the French word because the city was named Versailles. And then during the Civil War, the French kind of joined the wrong side and did some things the, the good Confederates of Kentucky didn't like. And so they pronounced it Versailles in order just to offend the French. Uh, really don't know why they pronounce Versailles, Versailles, but they do. Now, if you don't know much about Versailles, Kentucky, there is a, a horse farm. Technically, those are called steadings. A steading is a, a horse and a, a horse ranch and a pasture and a barn and all those things that are connected to keeping a horse. There's there's some steadings in Versailles, Kentucky. One of them is called Lane's End. 
and it's a several hundred acre if not thousand acre place and it houses the horses that belonged to the late queen of england there's a another steading and it's called old friends there's a there's a rock statue of a horse carved in front of the place and it houses retired racehorses these horses have won derbies and preaknesses and championships and their breeding line is famous and these horses are worth so much money or they've made so much money that instead of destroying them when they retire them they put them out to pasture in these very opulent private stalls they have their own little paddock with their own little barn like area i saw some some steadings that had horse barns and i guess barns not the words you use these are facilities for keeping horses they are heated and cooled there's no dirt floors there's either tile or wood floors and these these horse facilities are larger and more expensive than some of the most expensive houses you could find in huntsville alabama if you're that deep in bourbon country and you've got the ability to house your horses better than rich people live then you can pronounce the name of your city any way you want to pronounce it. But I'm in Versailles, Kentucky, and I'm trying to do a podcast in room 407. Now, I've got a podcast studio at my house. It's my little home office, and I've also got a podcast studio at my office. I have a traveling mic. I take my laptop, plug it in. The enemy of a podcast recorder on the road is, is ambient noises. You can be too close to a window near the pool area. You hear people talk through the window. You can be in a hotel and people ride up and down the strip with their loud motors and their loud engines and, and those ambient noises interfere with your podcasting. One of the worst things that happens is when people stay at motels, they forget that there's an inside voice and an outside voice. And so you sit down and you plug in your stuff and you get about halfway into a good story and somebody walks down the hall they start slamming doors like they're doing uh, explosive breaching and they're screaming into their phone or they're, they're screaming in the hallway uh one of the worst things is that you know you hear somebody yelling in the hallway and you peek out the door to see if this is moses leading the children of israel out of the wilderness and and instead of leading an entourage of people they're by themselves and they're screaming into a cell phone Look, this is modern technology. Your voice goes into the phone. It travels to a repeater. It may go to a satellite and come back down to earth. You are not talking to somebody with two cans connected by a string. Quit yelling. But ambient noise does get in the way when you're trying to do a podcast. Well, I'm sitting in room 407. I've got my earphones on and I'm telling a story and I begin to hear strange noises. Now, let me assure you that strange and strangeness are no stranger to me just some of the things that I do and especially strange and strangest is, is not a stranger to me in Kentucky. Now I've got some dear friends who live in, in Kentucky. I've got close friends that live in Paint Rock, uh, Paintsville, Kentucky. I've got close friends that live in Henderson, Kentucky. I've got friends that live in Richmond, Kentucky. I've been in and around the Kentucky area and been blessed to, to preach there. But my first trip to Kentucky was my worst trip to Kentucky. In fact, it's the worst youth rally I've ever been a part of. It's the worst youth retreat. It's the worst experience ever. And when I survived that trip, I vowed I'd never come to Kentucky unarmed again. In fact, on one of my trips to Eastern Kentucky, uh, I bought an out-of-state hunting license just so I'd have permission to travel with a weapon. 
So I'm in room 407 and I hear these noises coming through the wall and it's coming from room 409. And I don't know if they're speaking goblin. I don't know if there's a cave white in there. They're not human sounds. It sounds like a dragon in labor giving birth. And I decide I'm going to check this out. And so I prepare myself for the onslaught and I ease out. And the dude in room 409, there's something wrong with him. I mean, he is ill. He is violently sick. And he's making noises that no human should make. And, and it, it's guttural, demonic noises. I'm, I'm worried that maybe there's an alien coming out of this dude's chest. Well, I speak through the door. I say, sir, are you okay? And he screams through the door, leave me alone. I say, no, sir, I, I, I can call 911. I can get an ambulance here. I can go to town and buy you some medicine or some Pedialyte. And then this pitiful pleading voice comes from under the door says please just leave me alone and not wanting to be pushy and, and, and not wanting to be a person who uh, causes a bad situation to get worse because I'm being nosy I go back to my room well I can't make a podcast with this going on and so I stare out the window I watch the rain as it slowly turns to sleet and snow and I think about being away from home. I think about being by yourself. I think about being alone. And I think about being sick. In the fall of 1981, I moved to Harding University as an independent young college man. Now, my living situation was not ideal. I lived in grad singles, a little three-story brick building, and the rooms were not big enough to have roommates. I could walk into my dorm room and touch both walls with my hands. Now, you've got to understand that, that my wingspan is five foot four inches. That's how tiny this room was. I had an inset closet. I had a sink. I had a table, and I had a bed, and, and, and that was where I lived. But I didn't care because I was independent. I didn't mind it at all because I was on my own. And, and through the years, I've discovered that whatever weird glitch there is in my personality or whatever character flaw I have, I enjoy my autonomy. I enjoy independence. It was very, very scary to stop being a full-time church salaried minister and go into private practice and become a small business owner. Now, I'm a small person and I own a business. Or you can say, I own a small business. You do that, whatever you want. Have your fun. But as a small business owner, I enjoy my autonomy. Uh, someone once asked me, hey, you know, what would it take? Or would you consider, you know, closing your practice and being full-time staff at another church? And, and, and I really don't think I would. Now, if, if for some reason I felt like that I had been called or, or even the voice of God, which I'm using this accommodatively, not literally, but if the voice of God told me to move to this town and, and become a, a full-time minister again, I would definitely comply, but I'd go down to the Gulf and see if I could spend three days in a whale before I do it. And I told somebody before I'd give up my autonomy, I'd live under a bridge and eat homeless people. They were a little shocked at that reference. Homeless people are easier to catch than pigeons. Anyway, I would live in some pretty tough circumstances in order to maintain my autonomy. And I was having the time of my life being autonomous and being independent at Harding University. Now, Harding had a curfew. 
but a guy who lives on the second floor who's got a rope really doesn't have a curfew because you can use that rope and you can climb out of the building. You can climb back in the building. I had my own car. I could go where I wanted to. If I realized I wasn't going to get back to campus in time for a curfew, I just spend the night in my car. Paul Richardson knew if I wasn't there by room check, sign me out. And, and I really, really enjoyed being independent, being my own man. And then I got sick. Not just the, you know, a little cold, not just a head cold. I mean that in intestinal leprosy kind of sickness where everything you've ever thought about eating comes back to visit you. And, and I crawled, literally. Not, this is not figurative. This is not hyperbole. I crawled on my hands and knees out of my dorm room, down the hall, that big community bathroom with the urinals and the stalls and the shower. And I crawled under a stall door on that nasty tile floor, and I wrapped my arms around that, that porcelain, and I raised the hood on the porcelain Porsche, and I began to give it an 80-point inspection. And they were violent things coming out of my body. And I was making those violent noises like the guy in room 409 was making. And as I lay there in my misery, this voice from above says, I don't really think you're trying Come on, you can do better than that. What are you, sick? Are you pretending to be sick? And then I look up, and it's Paul Richardson, one of my dearest friends. I met him at Harding University. He lived in the room next to mine, and apparently my retching and gagging had woken him up, and he came down the hall, and he stood on the toilet in the stall next to me, and he leaned over the divider, and he was giving me encouragement. You can do better than that. I don't really think you're trying. Are you motivated or what? Is this what you call sick? And I compared what he was saying to what would be happening if I were at home. My mom would be sitting beside me with a cold washcloth and having it on my forehead. She would bring me a, a cup of jello that she'd warmed up in the microwave and had poured sugar in, and it would be liquid warmth that you could soothe your stomach. You can render down blackberries and drink that juice and it will settle an upset stomach. And even in the recovery phase, she might bring me ice cream. This is quite a step away from my mother's loving, tender care. This guy standing on the toilet in the stall next to you, heckling you while you heave your guts out. And say what you want to say about Paul Richardson's bedside manner. But what he was doing was he wasn't leaving me alone. And although I felt like I was totally, absolutely alone, and even though there was nothing Paul Richards can do about my condition, there was no way he could make it stop or make it go away or make me feel better, he stood there on that toilet leaning over the divider until I quit. And he helped me crawl back to my room. What we call that in, in the chaplaincy program is the ministry of presence. It's being with people while they're hurting. It's being with people while they're stressed. It's being with people while they're distressed. Very many times when people are hurt or sick or alone or suffering, we bring them presents, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. 
and we offer well-meaning but often ineffective and sometimes even harmful things. God has a purpose. God is the sovereign of this universe. But He doesn't cause everything that happens. He doesn't give children cancer, and He doesn't fly planes into buildings, and He doesn't make babies die, and He doesn't cause people to get killed in car accidents. And when we tell somebody that, that what is happening in their life is something that God has done to them, do we wonder why sometimes people are antagonistic toward God? And we've said this before, and I'll repeat it, that to understand the sovereignty of God and just how powerful He is, is that He can take things that He did not will, and He can take things that He did not initiate, but He can take those things and force them and conform them into such a way that they can become useful in our lives. But God doesn't do those kind of things to people. And when we tell people that, hey, what's happening to you, God is doing it to you for some mysterious purpose, at best it's bad theology, and at worst it's cruel And I think it probably even offends God when we tell people that we know how God is acting for them. Because what does that say about God and and the people that this isn't happening to? It creates a lot of difficulties in people believing that God loves them or they love God. You know, people give us these presents. Well, God just needed another angel. Number one, when people die, they don't become angels. And number two, angels are created beings, and God's got as many as He needs, and He can make more if He wants to. We say these things to people, and we intend to give them presents, and at best, they turn out to be gag gifts. When people are hurting, when people are sick, when people are alone, What they need from us is not any kind of present, but what they need from us is our presence. They they need us to be there. You know, the police don't want you to come and offer platitudes. The the first responders don't want you to come and and offer them theology. They don't care if you're right. What, What makes you valuable as a chaplain is that you're right there. And it's hard. It's It's difficult. You know, as a small-town minister or as the uh, lead pastor of a congregation, you know, when you show up, you're in charge. Whether it's a baptism, whether it's a wedding, or whether it's a funeral, or whether it's even a, a, a dinner banquet, you know, you, you offer the prayer or you organize things or you help. No, no, no. They, that's not what you do with first responders. You respond. And you stay out of the way and you stay in the shadows. And you being there is what is important to them, and, and it's an honor, and it's a privilege, and it's humbling when, when those men let you into that inner circle, but you're there as a guest. You're there with a privilege, and, and it's not to say anything. It's just to be there. And so when you see someone that's sick or hurt or suffering, don't leave them alone, but don't give them anything that you would consider to be a present. Just just simply be present. There's a line 
in an old movie, and I want to say it's the Magnificent Seven, the 2016 version of the, of the Magnificent Seven. But one of the characters has been grieving. One of the characters has lost a loved one. And it may not be that movie, but it, I think it is. And this character is sitting on this hillside, and he's watching the sun go down. And, and one of his friends comes near him, and, and they're doing their goodbyes because they finished their mission or whatever. And, and this guy looks at his friend, and he says, I'm just going to sit here a minute and miss her. You got time to sit with me? And see, when people are hurt, and they're suffering, and they're sick, you being there is not going to fix it. You being there is not going to make it easier. Your being there is not going to do anything except make sure that they're not alone. And you'll be with them. And the best present you can give them is to simply be present. Keeping up with Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. I am your host, Lonnie Jones. My wife Jackie and I moved to the city of Huntsville in 1986 for me to be a youth and family minister. I have been a minister since 1980. I have served in this community as a police chaplain assigned to a SWAT team since 1992. And I've been in private practice as a licensed professional counselor since 1998. I'm also an adventure educator and an avid outdoorsman. I dabble in rock climbing and I goof around with Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Our life has been full of many wonderful experiences and some just outright adventures. I used to write about those things in a little church bulletin article. So now instead of asking you to read those things, we're just going to talk about them in our podcast. And as we talk about them, we're going to talk about the facts. The facts lead to concepts, and the concepts lead to application. One caveat about the facts is, for the most part, we're going to tell you the facts just as they happened. But every now and then, we're going to tell you the way other people have told us they remember it happening with a little bit of embellishment. It's all good, clean, fun, and for educational purposes. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy Keeping Up with Jones.